following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Yeah, this is not always the most light of subjects um, when it comes to worship. There, uh, matter of fact, you can go into Google or Bing or something like that and type this, type this in and you're going to get a whole bunch of results. Worship wars. Worship wars. People battling over worship. And you might think, well, did that start back in the 50s, you know? Um, no, try 500s, meaning it's been going on since about the middle of the 5th century. Uh, and the church right off the bat, like, okay, we should do this without instrumentation. We should do this with instrumentation. And it started, so the thing is, when you bring people to the equation, we bring our opinions, our thoughts with us. And sometimes that can result in something that is not the greatest. Worship wars. You know, um, I had, there were a number of people who knew we were going to be covering the subject of worship this week. And I got sent, I mean, JB was one of them. I mean, I got sent a bunch of stuff. I mean, like, like, oh, you need to listen to this. You need to read this. You need to watch this. And I was like, okay, okay. If I get any more stuff, we are going. This is a second service, people. I got to stay. I got to stay on a schedule for first service. But you people are here. I mean, we could be here for two, three hours. I mean, seriously, if, if I was going to look and l- everything that I got sent this week, it would have been tough to even more tough. This is a big subject, trying to narrow it down. But, of course, if somebody sends me anything from, you know, Unashamed and Phil and Jace Robertson, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to it. I'm going to, well, I didn't watch it, but I'm going to listen to it. And this is something that Phil had to say. Now, you got to understand, Phil comes from the church background of this, that instrumentation thing I was talking about. There are those within the body of his church, the Church of Christ, that believe that you, you, you can worship with, with instrumentation and those who believe you cannot. Okay, that's kind of within that, and it's, it's, a, it's a, talk about a worship war, it's a thing that goes on there. So Phil's right kind of in the middle of all this, and this is his advice. He says, everyone just needs to loosen up just a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's his advice. You see, there is so much to be heard and said about worship. Style, worship genre, what about that? What about composers and songwriters, been around for a long time? What about, what about this? Should there be instruments during worship or should it be completely just the voices of people, a cappella? Okay, what about this? Should it be piano or guitar or both, electric drums or real drums, hymns or praise choruses or both? And this is just the tip of the iceberg. And you know why we bring powerful and strong opinions to this subject? Because music hits us. Music is powerful. Think about it for just a moment, guys. A simple melody can stir a wealth of emotion in most people. I know you've been there before. You're driving down the road and a song comes on the radio. And I'm not just saying it brings to mind something from the past. It brings to mind an actual scene that you were a part of. Maybe it brings to mind grandma. Maybe it brings to mind something that part of your life in high school. I don't know. I tell you, this music is powerful. And the power of music even goes deeper than that, both positively and potentially negatively. Music. 
even spiritually speaking. You know, I, I never went to, there, there was a class when I was in college, it was a class kind of on the occult, because there's a number of occults out there. I, ne- I never went to that class, but I did go to a lot of Life of Christ classes, okay? Just chronologically working through the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came into contact on more than one occasion, a number of them, with people who were demon-possessed. Many of them he set free, cast out the demons, all right? And you might think, well, that's just a thing of the past. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Now, in our culture, I don't know if Satan works in that way quite as much because our culture is kind of, we're grown up, we're beyond that. You know, we're scientific-minded and all of those things. You know, we don't believe in the devil anymore. I'm speaking of our culture, not our church, obviously, all right? So, so and, and Satan's not stupid. He, he, if people, he's just fine with people not believing in him, okay? Just fine with that because if they don't believe in him, typically they don't believe in God either, and he likes that very much. But Satan still works in that way, even in our culture, most definitely throughout the world. And I can remember talking with, with our professor, and we were asking about this, about, about demon possession and stuff, and how does that even happen to a person? How, how, does, how does that come about? And he said, these are, the, these are the three ways that it takes place. The first one, people are made vulnerable spiritually through sexual encounter. Because there is something more going on in that counter than just a physical thing. There is a spiritual thing there. Scripture is very clear about this. And people can make themselves vulnerable to the spiritual world through an encounter like that. Okay? He said, but it's also substances that can alter the mind. We call it substance abuse. You know, when you, when you begin taking the mind and releasing the control of it to a, a substance, that, oh, that's a big one right there, okay? And you guys remember this, don't you? Sex, drugs, and what? Rock and roll, all right? Music. Music's very powerful. And music has spiritual implications, positive and also negative. So if music has this potential, more specifically, if worship has this potential to be so powerful, then I think we probably ought to look to this handbook of life here, God's Word, to see what it says about worship. Do you know what the first recorded praise song in the Bible is? It's going to catch you off guard here a little bit. I bet it will. It comes out of the book of Exodus. The very first praise song. The writers, composers of it were two people, Moses and his sister Miriam. And this is some of the wording of that song. The horse and rider fell into the sea. And let me tell you something. It is not a nursery rhyme. All right? And I remember it from when I was going to camp. Years ago. The horse and rider fell into the sea. You got the hand claps, all right? It makes it a little more clear just a few verses later when it says this. The choicest of Pharaoh's officers have drowned in the Red Sea. That's a worship song. Well, that's pretty PC, don't you think? We're singing about people dying. People who are enemies of God's people. God brought the victory that we could not do. God brought it. And that Red Sea took the armies of Pharaoh. God did it with his power. Boy, that's quite a worship song. How about this one? Why don't you turn to Job? Job. It's it's found kind of almost in the middle of the Old Testament. Now, chronologically speaking, that's not where it happens. Matter of fact, Job most likely, the story of Job took place most likely before Noah's story. All right? We're talking, this this is ancient. This is old. 
We, we know some about the story of Job. And if we were thinking that we were going to read about Job worshiping God, it would come very early in his story. And you're right. But for us, it doesn't quite come early enough. Because remember when things start with Job, everything's hunky-dory. It's wonderful. I mean, life is great. But then life is taken from him. Everything. Is taken from him. His possessions, the lives of his children, everything. This is what Job says. Job chapter 1, beginning of verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Guys, do you realize what he just said? That is the content of his worship song. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken. I came with nothing, I'll leave with nothing. Blessed be the name. Of the Lord. Wow, I mean, that, that's not the two places I think I would have gone in the Bible to find worship. Well, those Psalms, preacher, we'll get into those a little bit more later. If we were to go to God's Word, I think it would not only be wise for us just to go to God's Word to look for the content of worship, but also powerful examples of worshipers in Scripture. So if we were going to do that, where would we go? Maybe, just maybe, we would go to those who were first created to worship God. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. I'm talking about preceding them. Okay, why don't you turn? Now, I'm going to read from the very end of the Bible, all right? But it's quoting something in the middle of the Bible, most specifically the prophet Isaiah. But we're not going to go to Isaiah. Why don't you turn to Revelation? It's going to be very, very end of your Bible, all right? Revelation chapter 4. And what you're going to find here in, in verses, let's see here, let's, let's look, not verse 7, let's look at verse 8. What you're going to find here is, is something in quotes, meaning it comes, I've already told you, from Isaiah, the prophet. And this is what the writer of Revelation says, and his name was the Apostle John. Here's what he says. Again, Revelation 4, beginning with verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings. He's, he's seeing a vision of the throne room of God, okay? The, I mean, this is a place of holiness and power, all right? And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, does this sound familiar? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. I know you've been there before because I've been there myself. You know, so this kind of happens when I've been to some, some conferences and stuff where the, worship, where the worship lasts like an hour. And like, it's good, but it's like, oh my goodness, it's like, I'm a little tired here. All right, we've been going for an hour now. Now it's encouraging, but then I'm like, okay, 
we, we've sang this already, and we're singing it again and again. This is like, this is just a repetition thing going on here. Uh, did you just catch that? The angels in the throne room of God, both in Revelation and Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When do they say this? Forever. So when I think about powerful examples of worship, that comes to my mind. But another one comes to mind too, and this one might sound a little familiar. You can say we're five months late or seven months early. Either one, all right? But you see some of these powerful messengers of God show up in the plains of Bethlehem. Not just one of them this time. It's a whole bunch of them. The heavenly army of God. You remember how they started? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Guys, that is an awesome, couple of awesome examples of worship found there in our Bibles. But, I mean, does it get any better than angels? I mean, we're talking about angels who are in the presence of God worshiping God. Does it get any better than that? Yeah, I think so. I got a question for you. Does Jesus worship? I mean, he's, he's God. Who's he worship? Ah, that's kind of an interesting question, is it not? If the Bible didn't say that Jesus worshiped, I would be like, trick question here, preacher. Does Jesus worship? Well, he is God. Yes, he is God, but he does worship. Yes, Jesus sang. Why don't you turn to Matthew 26? Matthew 26, and now that we're going to be looking at some some ties with Jesus in the New Testament to worship, I will tell you, his worship so often is connected to the Psalms that we find in the Old Testament, okay? So, let's take a look at it. Matthew 26, and again, I apologize, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit more, we're not done yet. Matthew 26, verse 30. Set this up as you're turning there. This is not... A pleasant time in the life of Jesus here in this world. He's just wrapped up his, his last supper. The Passover celebration of all Passover celebrations. In the upper room with his closest disciples. What's coming next is going to a garden. What happens after that is going to a trial. To another trial. To a cross. To a tomb. That is what is coming for Jesus. Now, there is some debate about when this happens. It says when they were done that they sang a hymn. We're going to read that here in just a moment. This either took place in that upper room when kind of the festivities, if you will, were done. Or it took place while they were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives. There's some debate about that. And it doesn't really matter when they did this singing. But what isn't debated is the content of what he's saying. It was a Hallel psalm. Those are from the 113th to the 118th psalm, somewhere in there. Because this is what you did at the Passover. Let's read it. Matthew 26, 30. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount 
of olives. So when I look, I get the content of what Jesus was singing. All I have to do, now you don't have to turn there now, but all I have to do is look at the 113th Psalm through the 118th Psalm. Understand something, guys. Psalms is different than other books of the Bible. It is not chapters. It's not like Psalms chapter 118. No, it is the 118th Psalm. They are separate and of themselves. So when you look at the 113th Psalm through the 118th Psalm, there's some things that you're going to find. You're going to find words like this. Give praise to the Lord. I love the Lord. Give glory to the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. These are the types of things you're going to read again and again and again. And as strange as it sounds to us of Jesus singing this to God the Father, he did. He did. And you might say, okay, okay, preacher, I see that Jesus worshiped. After all, he was here on earth and he worshiped while he was here. He worshiped with his disciples in glory to God the Father. Why else do you think he might have worshiped while he was here? I think he did it to give us an example. Why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Oh, man. I promise you I didn't mark it. I just flipped right up into it. I've been doing this a couple times this week. So, sorry. I didn't mark them. My mom would be mad at me. But she said, always mark your Bible so you can get there fast. I was like, takes time to get there, Mom. Come on, moms don't know everything, just most things. She's probably watching this now, I'm going to hear about that. All right, Hebrews chapter 2. Now, a little bit about Hebrews. This letter was written to Hebrew Christians, people who came out of this, out of this mindset, this biblical mindset, this Old Testament biblical mindset of this. For them, worship of Yahweh, of God, very, very important. Very high on the list of important things to do in this world, on, in this earth, all right? Now, as the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians, he is emphasizing to them for a whole host of reasons that Jesus fulfilled everything we find in the Old Testament. And he is better than those ways. All those ways point to him, okay? That is the main point of the book of Hebrews. So let's take a look at this little piece of it and see if we find anything about worship. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Speaking of Jesus. For both he, Jesus, who sanctifies, which just means he cleanses, and those who are sanctified, who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, they are all from one Father. Do you understand what this is saying? For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Brothers and sisters, don't ever forget this. Jesus purchased with his blood your right and my right to be called his family. You are the brother or the sister of Jesus Christ. If you're washed clean by his blood. Guys, that is amazing. That is amazing. So let's continue on with this. He's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, and once again, jump right into the Psalms here. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Where is Jesus singing praise to God? In the midst of what? The congregation church let me ask you a question i know that there's rough sunday mornings 
I know, for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes rough Sunday mornings follow rough weeks. Sometimes rough Sunday mornings follow rough months. Sometimes rough Sunday mornings sometimes follow rough year or years. And sometimes it hits us. Okay? And sometimes it can be something very, very simple. I remember the days, I mean, Donna, Donna works at the hospital one weekend a month. Okay? And now that's not that big of a deal because the girls actually get up a little before me. Okay? But that wasn't the way it always was. And I got made fun of by a few of you moms out there back in the day when our, when our precious little ones were really truly little ones because on those particular weekends, sometimes the girls would just go to grandma's, you know? Because grandmas are really good at getting little girls ready for church. They really are. I mean, so much better at it than I was, you know? But some months, mom couldn't do it. And I got to church. Back then we only had one service. I don't know how I could have done two. And I like got up here and I was like, done. I mean, I was exhausted. I was like, this is so much work. This is so much work, all right? And you come there and you come and you're tired. It's been a rough year maybe by something a lot different than just getting a couple of little youngins together and ready for church. It's been a rough year for a variety of reasons. You come on Sunday morning and you're like, I just, I just can't get myself there to worship. Let me ask you this. If Jesus was worshiping the Father, physically standing next to you, would your worship experience be transformed? If he was right beside you, In the room, singing praise to God the Father, would your worship be changed? Would you have to be into the song? Here's the thing. He is worshiping with us. He is. Why don't you turn from Hebrews over to Colossians. It's just a few pages over in your New Testament. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16. It's Paul writing to the church in Colossae. That's what he says. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He like runs the whole gamut here, okay? Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Jesus is worshiping with us when we worship. Still today. And on that note, Jesus did not just sing. It's not that Jesus sang, he still sings. All right, now what we're really going to focus on For the remainder of our time, turn over just a few pages again on the other side of 1 and 2 Corinthians to Romans. Romans chapter 15. This is Paul wrapping up, okay, his letter to the Roman church. And a good portion of that letter looked like this. He was talking about two people groups. And everybody who's ever lived in this world, everybody fits into these two people groups. 
first group is this. The group is Israel, the Jews. The other group is everybody else, the Gentiles. Okay? Let me tell you something. You guys, anybody watch the news the past couple weeks? All right, a little something going on over in that part of the world. Been going on for a little bit now. Be honest with you, it hasn't stopped for centuries. Gaza Strip thing, and now it's like rockets being launched back and forth, and all of these different things. I had a, had a friend from college who served over in that part of the world for, for a time. Not there any longer. Part of his work was just to be there and try to get, try to get native people to that area to the place where they were not only believers in Christ, but were very confident teachers and preachers in Christ. Because that way you don't have to be an American over there trying to talk about Jesus. you got somebody local talking about Jesus. But he said, even while you're there, you're going to get divided in these groups. you got the Jews and you got the Muslims. He said, here's the deal. You put them in a room, there's going to be fireworks. He said, and nothing in this world will bring them together. Nothing but Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And then when we look here to Romans, even so many years ago they were talking about the Jews, the non-Jews. Let's see what it says about them. Again, Romans 15, beginning with verse 7. Paul, in wrapping up this letter, he says, Therefore accept one another as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God the Father, unity. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that's just another name for the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles who glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. It's Jesus who is singing here. And this is an interesting thing about This is the 18th Psalm. This is written originally by King David. A little bit more about that here in just a second, okay? And what you have here is King David, who is kind of like singing praise to God in spite of the, then it wasn't really Jews, it was more Israelites, okay? And they had those who battled them and did not like them. The Philistines were amongst them, but there were were others, all the Knights, the Canaanites, all right? And what the psalmist is saying is he's singing this. He's saying, I will praise you in the midst of them, in spite of them. They're not going to stop me from praising you, Lord. But the thing that Jesus does with this and transform it is it's no longer I will sing praise to you in spite of the Gentiles. Amen? Because we're Gentiles, most of us in here. I will sing together with them praises to you, Father. You see, the 118th Psalm, if, if you were to look at it in your Bible, and you have kind of like little footnotes and little headings and stuff in your Bible at times, underneath the, the 18th Psalm, which something that you would, you would find as you looked at that is it says, for the choir director, right? This is a Psalm of David. He's the one who wrote it. He was not just a king and a warrior. He was also a musician and a songwriter. And this was written for someone who, with an instrument, would lead the people in Worship, a worship leader, 
That's what we're talking about here. But Jesus' position of worship leader goes beyond that. Where is the primary place of Christ? JB talked about this just a few weeks ago. Physically, where is Jesus now? Seated at the right hand of God. God the Father. What is he doing while he is there? He's mediating for us. He is our voice in the throne room of God. Amen, hallelujah. But he is not just mediating our righteousness. He is mediating our worship. He unifies the voices of the globe. The worship voices of the globe in every dialect, every language, every genre of music. He unifies them and presents them to the Father. You see, worship has less to do with how we worship and more to do with who we worship. Understand? And through Christ, our worship is transformed. Have you ever been this before? Have you ever been to this place before? If you have not, probably should have at some point. Have you ever been singing the songs of worship, whether it's maybe in your car? Be like my father-in-law. He likes to listen to the Gaithers in the car sometimes and in the shop, all right? Maybe you're not a Gaither person. Maybe you like maybe you like somebody else. But have you ever been worshiping, or maybe you've been worshiping in a humble experience, like amongst you know a pretty good sized group of people, or maybe a huge group of people. I'm talking thousands. If you've never had the opportunity to worship in a group of a thousand people, wow, you talk about an impact. Seriously, have you ever gotten to a place though? Feeling just a little unworthy to be singing worship to God. Because you know what came out of your mouth yesterday. You know the words that you used to hack a limb off your spouse. Now I'm not talking about a physical limb. I'm talking about worse than that. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Stupidest thing ever said. Words hurt. And and maybe other words that have flowed from this mouth, and now this mouth is attempting to sing praise to God. And have you ever thought, oh man, it's tough to do today. How could the Father accept the praise of these filthy lips? How could the Father, the perfect Father, accept praise from me? You know how? It's because of Jesus. He not only makes our praise acceptable, He makes our worship worthy. He makes our worship perfect. That's what he does. And for that, we have so much to be grateful for. Do you you 
realize a big part of the reason God brought us into existence is to bring glory to his name. Bible's pretty clear about that. And the only way we can do it effectively is through Christ. I don't know exactly what heaven's going to look like. I don't know exactly what worship in heaven is going to look like. You know, we talk about Jesus as a worship leader. I, I think Jesus is going to lead worship with a, with a dulcimer and a banjo. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of a bluegrass guy, you know. I just, I like it, you know. But I don't know that's going to be the case, all right. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But I do know this, in heaven we will worship. We will worship God because finally we will become fully aware. Now, I'm not talking about partially. I'm talking about fully aware of how much we're not really supposed to be there. We could never get there on our own. We couldn't. And when we come face to face with God one day, we will realize it to the utmost. It is only Christ that brings us there. Only Him. Because of him, we will worship God forever. Now, I'm not saying we're going to sing forever. Worship is bigger than singing, but I'm getting the cart in front of the horse here just a little bit. You know, as I listened to that podcast earlier in the week, there's something that jumped out at me um, and was said by, by Jace Robertson, and this is what he had to say about worship. He, he, he loves worship. Matter of fact, he finds himself in a lot of places for one thing he's an LSU football fan so he goes to a lot of LSU football games and when you pull up to the tailgating of LSU football it's usually not praise and worship going on okay so anytime he goes somewhere in his big old truck he has it blaring he's got worship of the Lord blaring he said he said look if I got to listen to theirs blaring all the time they're gonna have to listen to mine when I show up and before I even step out of the truck I want them to know what I stand for And he went on to say this, and he was talking about coming together with brothers and sisters, but I think it's bigger than that too, because worship is more than a Sunday thing, all right? But when he was talking about coming together with with family in Christ and worshiping together, this is what he had to say about it. He said, I need worship. I need it for what I'm about to encounter in the world. Because I need it. You see, what he understands is what I think we need to come to a better understanding of, and it's this. 98% of our worship takes place from Monday to Saturday. Do, Do we understand that? The vast majority of our worship takes place not on Sunday morning. takes place from Monday to Saturday. You see, worship is life. Okay? We looked at that Colossians 3 passage. You know what it says right after talking about the worship? It says, in whatever you do, give glory to God. And to go even beyond that, to even go beyond that, it's it's my favorite passage in all of the New Testament. 
all of the New Testament. You see, when I read this passage, it's a reminder to me that, that worship isn't about how I do it. Okay, whether the music that, that I, I like or, or through the other things that I do that through which I bring worship to God. How is not is what is important. You know what's important? It's who. It's who we are worshiping. And Paul, just as he begins, I mean, this is like the first half of Romans is all about the gospel, what Jesus did for us. He came. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and it changes life, all right? That's, that's the first 11 chapters of Romans, very much summarized, all right? You start in Romans chapter 12, and it gets on the practical side. Okay, what does that mean for our everyday life? And this is how he starts that whole passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2, memorize it, get it in here, all right? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What is our worship? The way we live. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Worship is more than music, okay? And worship on a daily basis will always begin, as we said right before communion, with a grateful heart. What better way to start our days, our Mondays, our Wednesdays, our Saturdays? What better way to start our days than with this phrase, Thank you, God. Praise your name. If Job could do it on that day, what about me? What about me?